Welcome to Dancing with the Bards, where we give our, much-needed, opinions on games and RPGs of the month. This month, we have a tabletop RPG called Kids on Bikes, where you get to live your childhood dreams of dealing with an incomprehensible evil that is befalling your neighborhood. Or is that just me? As always, we are joined by the main ensemble of Ian, hey. Brooke, Howdy. myself, the ever-so-emphatic bard, Chris, and this week we have a new guest and a returner from last episode, Will, our video editor, and his boyfriend, Nelson. Hello. Hey. Happy to have you guys on the podcast. Glad to be back. You know, I'm glad that you guys decided to want to try it out. I was really excited when you guys told me. Yeah. Uh, so a very quick history lesson in regards to the game that we played this uh, month. Uh, Kids on Bikes was written by Doug Lewandowski and Jonathan Gilmore and was published in 2018 by Renegade Game Studios. It uses a simple six-stat system as one might expect from other popular RPGs like Dungeons & Dragons, Pathfinder, and the like, but with a bit of a twist. Using Fight, Flight, Brains, Brawn, Charm, and Grit, you fight the monsters of your nearest and dearest nightmares. When you make your character, you put a single die in each of the stats, starting with a d20, then a d12, d10, d8, d6, and finally a d4. Depending on the age of your character, you also get a flat bonus to two of your stats. When you select a number, then you select a number of strengths and weaknesses and add some extra flavor and function to your character. Kids on Bikes also has what they call the Adversity System, which provides you with a resource every time you fail on a roll. You can use this resource to retroactively add a bonus to a single future roll, or it can be used in a variety of other different features. Kids on Bikes has a few other variants as well, such as Kids on Brooms and Teens in Space. So guys, what did you feel about the game overall? Oh, well, you know, I was a huge fan of... Uh... You know, movies like it, um, and you know the show Stranger Things. And when I first, when I was first heard of this, I was just like, you know, maybe we should all give it a go. And I thought it was really fun, um, and really easy to kind of pick up. You know, considering that it was last minute, I was able to get at least part of a camp, part of the start of a campaign for you guys, which I thought, you know, the first time I did it was a little hard, but the second time. You know, I uh, I ran it for you guys. It was actually a lot easier. I personally really enjoyed it. I, I played it before with Nelson, and every time we play this game, I, I feel like everyone has, or most people have a lot of fun with it. It, it allows for a lot of roleplay between the players while also not like taking things too off the rails, I think. I feel like it also might be important to mention right now, as I completely forgot about this in the intro, uh, we did recently have a bit of a COVID scare, so we're currently doing this recording online uh, between each other over Discord. So if things sound a little different, uh, it's because of that. Uh, but yeah, I do feel like it also had a lot of um, a variety of different roleplay options, uh, though they were all more so bounded in the strengths to weaknesses aspects of the characters. Um, and like, you know... Rather than playing some power fantasy, it's more like you play kind of an everyday person, which is kind of it's a nice change of pace sometimes, you know, and it's more roleplay heavy. So it's not just you know person makes a, a really overpowered character or something, and it also comes out with some nice interactions between players when if everyone really likes roleplaying. 
So quickly covering uh, how our adventure went. We played as a, a group of kids in California, almost like Cali setting, right? It was like 80s Cali. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we, it, it was short. It was, um, which a lot of our samples will be as we run these. Uh, Nelson, do you want to go over the plot? Sure, I can definitely do that. So the plot was, basically, you guys are a group of high, I would say like high school students who the summer was basically coming up, the school year was ending, and lots of teenagers were have been gone missing in your local town of Somerville, we'll just call it. And so current recently, the head cheerleader Bethany had gone missing, and no one's heard from her after a few days. So you guys want to investigate exactly what's been going on and uh, only to find out that it was a group of vampires who lived underneath the boardwalk who uh, have been taking human sacrifices and converting them to vampires. Yeah, and we I think we all had a lot of fun with it. We all went for like your typical kid, like teenager tropes. We had like the nerd, the Fonz, the bratty rich girl, and the jock. Yeah, and that, uh, it sounded like you guys had actually quite a bit of fun role-playing these characters, and... Oh, yeah. I went know. too overboard, I'll be honest. <laughs> listening listening to the recording for the session, I'm like, yeah, I just should have shut up. <laughs> but I, I had a lot of fun, and I was, I was getting really carried away. But to be honest, you know, I'm, I was glad, because it actually made for some funny moments and interesting interactions. You know, and it's not like we're making characters as just, you know, brooding in the background or something. These characters actually had, you know, personality. And that's where I think a lot of this game's strength lies. It really allows you to have fun. And the way the settings are made, it feels familiar. Like, we've all, we grew up watching Scooby-Doo, most of us. And this has very much, like, that group mystery aspect that just makes it so much fun. You know the tropes. You know what usually happens in your four to five person mystery gang. Like, it, it, it allowed you to have a lot of fun. Speaking of a four to five person mystery gang, uh, just to quickly cover some of our criteria for our scoring system, and uh, oh, that's right, we're yeah, doing we... a podcast where we review things. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to have at least some context, though. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it I, is. I tried to sneak it in there real smooth. Oh, you did. Smooth as butter. Smooth like butter. So, number of players for this this game um, was something that. We really couldn't find. Uh, we we kind of skimmed the book, and uh, it doesn't really have like a minimum maximum number of players, which I feel is kind of good and bad because if you're picking this up, because it is it is definitely a game I would recommend for people who have never done role playing before, but are more used to like uh, strict by the dice kind of rules, like the kind of games where everything you do is decided by the dice. This is a nice change of pace from that. The problem with it comes in the when if you're a new player and you sit down at a table with eight people because you feel like you can manage it and it turns out you can't like i've been in that position and that's that's not fun it's not fun so it really i i personally feel like it really should have uh or at least if if it is that it's there and we couldn't find it it really should just be like on the front page like this is how many players we advise you take and you know it's not a rule it should just be an advisement and it's not there I, I, I do think it's really up to the discretion of the game master. Um, some people prefer smaller groups. Some people 
We all prefer large groups. It's it's really um, and I, I don't think having a large group is necessarily bad in this this specific game. Uh, it might be difficult to to wrangle all your players, uh, just because of how um, loose everything is. But like I said, ultimately, I think it is up to the DM's discretion or GM's discretion. Yeah, I I feel like there's depending upon the type of game, laxness and rules. There's like a it's like a, a a scaling chart between laxness and rules and number of players. The more role play heavy a game gets, I feel like the for me personally, the less players I want to have in it, because it, it starts to take up more time. And if everyone wants to get a chance to say what they have to say, it's harder when you have eight people. But if you're playing a game where you just roll a dice and that's what happens, it makes it a little easier to manage. Okay, your turn, your turn, your turn, your turn, your turn. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and especially with, you know, more players you get, sometimes some, sometimes it's, uh, it kind of slows the pace of some things where you kind of have to know what to do when that happens. And sometimes for a new, you know, for a new GM that's running that hasn't had really an experience, any experience, it can be a little overwhelming at first. Yeah. Uh, moving on to access. Accessibility. You can find this book in most game stores. Amazon, Walmart, etc. You know what I did find out? Because I did go to order this. The deluxe edition is not on Amazon. That's a little weird. Yeah. That, can, that I'm surprised with. You can only get the deluxe book on their website. It's cheap. It's It's 35 bucks. And you can get like a free shipping option too. So I ended up spending about fifty five bucks just to get that and one of the volumes of Strange Adventures, which is a supplement for this. We'll get into that later. So it's it's not hard to get, but the deluxe edition is a little harder to find. Yeah. yeah the, the books laid out in a way that makes it easy to understand. That's my gripe a lot of the time with with these type of games is that the the people who write the books don't have People in mind when they're thinking about, is this something that everyone can understand easily? And I found that the way it was laid out was very easy to read, very um, clear, except for, of course, the number of players. But talking about actually how to play the game itself was very clearly written. I would say, and yeah, I would agree with that. And the nice thing was that, like, if you're going through, when I have, you know, I'm going through the book, you know, everything's laid out where if you need to find something you can find it very easily and even some some of the stuff is color-coded so it brings your eye to one specific, you know specific thing you're looking for i think everything that's important is color-coded and that is that is big so helpful i wish everyone would do that i know that like colored inks on books drastically raises the price but it also drastically changes how you can use it like it's it's worth it that's but again i'm i'm a i'm a sucker for for a, a quality book i mean you say it increases the price but the... i'm just i'm i'm talking at the back end like if you're trying to produce your own book having it color versus black and white does change how much that production cost is going to be and then you will need more proofs on top of it but that's like back end stuff that i just know from the art degree that i had oh okay I was just going to say, because, like, the book itself is a surprising $25. Yeah, which really shocks me. Um, they're definitely, they could have 
charged a lot more and I'm I'm glad they didn't because it makes it more accessible. Uh <laughs> but the it's the quality it has is spot on. Yeah, and I was able to go through the deluxe edition and the nice thing the little the difference with deluxe and regular was deluxe does give you a bit more, you know, information and you know and uh more stuff in there where like if you're stuck on don't know how to make a campaign or something, here's some ideas to get you started, which is nice. It, and, um, you, you I feel know. like that also kind of starts to move into comprehension of just how the way, the way that this is written is make, it makes it pretty easy to understand. The character sheets are based are and character creation is based on your character's personality. So like the traits that you have are earned and are given by what, personality traits you decide your character has which i think just makes everything so much easier for people that don't want to have to roll 50 sets of dice to find out what their hit points are their ac their their dexterity their their strength their etc etc i mean character creation is very straightforward very simple the as you said parts of it are color-coded for very important rules and it's a kind of game that if you wanted to run it if you have someone play it for you once you can kind of get the gist of how everything works just by watching someone run a session. Yeah, and the nice thing is also with the character creation, if you don't necessarily know exactly what you want to make, you can go also through the list of tropes and they'll give you kind of a little bit of a starter, starting um, character sheet like, oh, I want to, like for example, like I want to play the outcast kind of character, then it has that trope, you know, it has that trope and it gives you all everything you need to start a character it's nice you know especially if you, you kind of get overwhelmed with character creation it's just nice to have something as a kind of a template and on that topic of character creation um i would like to give this game credit a lot of the character creation is just building your character's personality there's not a lot to worry about with picking skills and attributes and how those attributes affect your skills uh it's it's really very much geared towards the role-playing end of things yeah it is is okay so going on to design uh to the design section how did we feel about the diversity in this like i know that i loved on a visual level on the covers there was not a overly there's not a lot of people on these covers, but they did have some diversity between genders and races as well, which I love to see. That's like my favorite thing is seeing real life, seeing multiple multiple people. Uh, on top of that, too, there are mechanics in play in this game uh, to allow you to play a neurodivergent character or something similar, which I, I think is a little bit underappreciated in games, but credit to them for having all the mechanics already set up in the base version of the game. Yeah, which it was nice because when I was first reading it, you know, it gives you guidelines, you know, not exactly guidelines, but tips, especially for running running as the game master if someone wants to run a neurodivergent character or someone with a disability, you know, uh, who has a disability, that, you know, have them ask the part, you know, if you're comfortable with that, also ask everyone who's playing if they'd be okay with that. You know, if they're playing it, you know, you know, mean-spirited about it, how to address it. It's nice. I mean, I I feel like the genre that this is based off is also around the time where you started seeing just a little bit more diversity in films. 
around the 80s, 90s. This is true. Which, it does help it along, and it helps... I've had a lot of... Uh, I've seen a lot of uh, discussion in the tabletop game community on the idea of, oh, well, this story takes place in medieval times, so you can't have people of color in it, which, first of all, is wrong. But, I mean, you can't even make that argument with this, because the entire trope that it's based on takes place, you know, in a, in a more modern setting, I'd say. Yeah. Sure. I mean, but also you gotta remember at that time when they're adding more diversity, there was a lot of very, a lot of stereotypes involved when they were trying to figure out how do we add in people from different uh, backgrounds into something. So I'm I'm very glad that they they took the best parts of that time period and didn't lean into the other parts like we've seen with I'm sorry I hated Spyfall uh, when we did that game that artwork really bothered me because it played into those stereotypes r- way hard and like they could have done that here too and they didn't they did it in a classy way where they gave a nod to the past but also modernized it yeah and the nice thing also. They, there is also in in the base book and also in the deluxe book where if you're playing a certain time period, you can t- they're saying if you're comfortable and everyone else is comfortable, you can touch upon, you know, certain aspects that weren't so great. But yeah. at the same time, it's as long as ever, if everyone's comfortable with that. But if you, if not, you don't have to. You know, it, I'm sure that that would make it make you know the setting a bit more. Not exactly interesting, but at least kind of give you a sense of, you know, everything isn't as, you know, picturesque or some, something, and you're not romanticizing that time period. Yeah. Alright, so moving on to materials. Um, I would say, material-wise, it's actually really easy, especially if you're on a budget, because all you really need is just a book, because you could do Theater of the Mind, or... If, for example, let's say you have materials from, like, other tabletop RPGs, you can definitely use that. And it's just, you know, all you need is just some dice, and you're pretty much set. Or even just have use your phone to roll dice. The barrier for entry is very low for this game, which is nice. I also feel like it it also, while the barrier for entry is low, there are a lot of options and expansions for this. I mean, you have... Two different adventures books, a deluxe edition, a dice set, two expansions: Kids in Space and uh, Kids on Broom, or Teens in Space and Kids on Brooms. So they have a lot available for this, uh, this one game, and I mean the, the the two that I mentioned can also be played as their own separate games, but they also kind of work on the same way that this does. So you can really just you can have a campaign that starts as Kids on Bikes and move it to Kids in Space with just a little bit of know-how yeah which i'm looking forward to when when we found that out ian and i just locked eyes and got really excited because we have a a cartoon that we both watch that does take place in space and has a very much kids on bike feel so the two of us just got so jazzed for that it's it's okay we're not sponsored by now but we can name drop kid cosmic god kid cosmic I can't wait. I, we're going to do this on our own. We're going to play a Kid Cosmic campaign. I'm so excited. Yeah, I have the book, and I can grab Teens in Space, too. And uh, oh, I'll probably yeah. run a Kid Cosmic campaign. Because it actually so- has, like, a section on the, on the list for, like, powers. And in the show, they have, like, these little rings that each gives them one power. So it would really be easy to do. Oh, yeah. 
I we were talking about this too. I half think that they <laughs> that they got heavy inspiration from their own like R- RPG campaign that they did. <laughs> it almost feels that way. In in the best way possible. Like it's it's I'm excited. Sorry. I feel like we already kind of talked about ready to play on this. I feel like most of us would you know play this again. Chris, <laughs> you were saying that it's not really your genre. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? We need we need a naysayer in this in this podcast. Oh, I have a naysayer for rate of play. I find that this has a lot of dead space. At least the couple times I've played it, it's unless you know what you're doing and you're used to playing an RPG. I could see so many dead spots happening where there's just silence at the table, and there's not great ways to fix that. I mean, yeah, I would say, you know, for me personally, I love this kind of stuff. So like. For me, it's high rate of play, but at the same time, for people who, you know, normally don't like role playing or that's or that kind of stuff, it's maybe a nice detraction from whatever main tabletop game you're playing for a little bit. But at the same time, I understand that some people get burnt out of it really quickly if they're not invested in it. Yeah, I, I feel like it could definitely be spaced out uh, between other types of sessions, and that would probably make it more attractive, just because it's just so different. Yeah, so for this section overall, because as for value, we already covered that this is one of the cheaper tabletop books that you could buy in a, as like a physical copy. I gave this a 17 to 21, so high overall. All twos and threes for me. Uh, also at 17, um, the rate of the play just really tanked it for me. That was that was the lowest score for me just because I I have an issue with dead space. That's That's something that's hard for me to, to overlook. Yeah, but I don't think that's the game's problem. That was mostly us just being dumb and role-playing too much. But it was when it, we stopped talking entirely. Like, we're, we play twice a week, some of us. Sometimes more. So if we're getting those dead spaces, someone who's new into the, the scene are going to get a lot more of those. I mean, but also taking into account the dead space sometimes isn't really... Sometimes the game's fault. It could also be the either how the players are playing also as well as the G, the GM who you know isn't really moving things along for that, me that was the one thing that I could see this being an issue so I, I take for that I personally didn't necessarily have a problem with the the game itself um or at least not with the system I did have a bit of a problem with the setting I I just I, I'm not a huge fan of the Stranger Things slash, like, it, like, trope of kids trying to defeat great evils, despite the intro at the start. It's it's just, I, I prefer a much more, like, high fantasy setting when I play games, uh, and this just didn't scratch that itch for me, uh, even though I did give it a, a 15 out of 21 for the setting. I mean, for this, I gave it a um, 19 out of 21. I really do enjoy this, especially because you kind of do play... I do like the fact that in the game, you, you can play your everyday man or and, you know, overcome, you know, great evil, which is kind of cool, in my opinion. You're not playing some divine being or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I feel like you probably could put a bunch of high fantasy into this. It just wouldn't turn out the same way as, like... A D and D setting would, 
what was that? Uh, Onward was the Disney movie, uh, the Pixar movie that came out a few years ago, right? I'm allowed to talk about Disney, Chris. It's fine. We're not sponsored. You can't. It's illegal. Disney will never sponsor us. Jail. <laughs> but um, if you were to not take, with that attitude. If you were to take a setting like that, and uh, if you had like monster children, and you just wanted to put in like under powers, can breathe underwater, or etc., can can fly because you're a little pixie child. You could do that too, and still keep a high fantasy setting in something like this. If you wanted to just kind of do a little bit of homebrew, because it does, it's very flexible in that regard. I think. Yeah, because you know, it's not like most other games where you know you have to play it like this or that. And really, at the end of the day, these are just the rules in the game are just guidelines for you to put how to play, and you can always just mix and match whatever rules you think would work. So, moving into our next section, under... So, developer support is first for that. There is definitely, like, I feel some developer support through the supplements and, and other things they've released for it. I I looked through um, their Twitter page and everything. It's a lot of advertisement stuff. It's not a lot of uh, what seems like community outreach. So, I kind of I gave them, like, a, a two, almost towards a one for me for that. Because yes, it's nice to have supplements, but to you're you're looking for more hands on, like the developers posting. Uh, I should not make a connection to D and D because obviously they're different systems, but like a sage advice column where it's like, here are how the rules that we interpret are, uh, and then they answer questions from the things. And you're saying because they don't have that, you're giving it fewer points. Uh yeah, I mean. I'm sure they do have like an FAQ page on their website for their publisher, but I couldn't find a lot in that regard, or at least not recently. I mean, granted, the game was published a while ago, so, and they have other things to do. They're busy people. Busy boy. Yeah, I also gave a two on that because like it was, especially when you're first being thrown into the game, and especially running it, it's a bit, you know, this is a bit tricky, and you know have being able to at least get some feedback or even you know ask being able to ask questions from the to the developers themselves is actually very nice but here it was kind of just not there a bit on the flip side for community uh i feel like this is a very popular game and as a result you have a lot of people that talk about it a lot or it's variations i know i think someone said they, f- they felt Kids on Brooms was a little more popular. Bizarre. I would say, because when I was first learning how to play the game, before, you know, actually showing it to you guys, I was able to find, you know, their Reddit, and, you know, people were posting questions that could easily, that someone would give their, you know, answer after, which was nice. Especially for a lot of stuff that I was, like, a little iffy on. I can just ask a question, and someone would answer it, which is nice. Especially for a new player... It's nice to see other people's experiences and how they got got about doing it. Yeah, so it is a very in-depth community overall as one of the more popular tabletop games. So moving on to uh, custom content. I would say, because you can easily homebrew a lot of stuff into the game and eas- and get it to actually work. You know, you don't necessarily have to book on like various adventures and stuff like that to run. You can make one on a spot very easily. It's it's unlike a lot of other TTRPGs where it's it's very lax with what you can create. Like you were saying earlier, um, 
if you want to make you know a, a magical character it's very realistic to do something like that uh with with the gm's discretion obviously yeah it's really not outside the bounds of what the rules allow and i i, I have to assume um with a busy reddit community and such lax rules that if you do a little bit of digging you'll find uh player made adventures for this I, I i'm sure they exist i haven't looked too deeply into it but a game that's popular has to have uh, player-made content in the form of adventures if they already have their own supplements for adventures i mean when i was going through you know the some rpg forums you know when i was trying first finding out uh, what kind of adventure to kind of run you do have like a few people who made you know a small little pdf here and there of you know things to try out you know like one based on like creature of the, the creature from the black lagoon or firestarter and stuff like that mothman Ooh, Mothman. Mothman would be fun. Mothman I would, would love fun. to play the proposal. Next time we play this together, we do all like localized uh, monsters. Some Pakwajis. I'm down. I mean, we could do that. We could do that with so little little bump here. Uh, we're gonna be trying to stream on Twitch on Sundays with some chillin' with the bards. Um, so maybe we could do that for chillin' with the bards sometime. Oh yeah, I want to be a Baba Yaga, but an exchange student. <laughs> oh I, I thought but what you guys meant by localized i thought be like local over legends or some haunted house that... well yeah, i mean Baba, Baba Yaga is localized no no i think he means <laughs> not, like not in our area we're from new england Baba yeah. Yaga is not from this country that's why i'm exchange student okay okay I, I was more expecting kind of like you know the warren house or something that you guys visit or yeah Okay, here's here's I a could, fever I dream. That. I could run that in a heartbeat because uh, outside of this podcast, my my hardcore hobby and hyperfixation is the paranormal. So we could absolutely do that. I am all about that. I'm now. We're Sorry. gonna make our own player made content. Ha! Huh. <laughs> I think that would actually be kind of cool for some stuff, you know. I'll, I'll look into it, and if, if I do end up making something, I'll make the PDFs available for everyone, so we'll add to the custom content section. So, expansions, I gave it a three. There are four different supplement books that I know of, and if you have three different published books at that point, I just that's a three for expansions for me. Like, oh, yeah. Most games uh, and, and creators, especially for like uh, smaller content creators that aren't part of a large publishing company, if they have just one supplement, like that's a godsend. So yeah. at three, like you're you're good. You got enough for me to give you a three. And and three meaty ones. It's not like sometimes they'll say they've made an expansion, and it's just like a a journal for your character or mm -hmm. something like that. Or they'll put out something little. Uh, but these are these really do affect the gameplay and like bringing new ideas to the table and and helping you through that. So they're not just fluff stuff. They're they're they put work into it. Yeah, and the nice thing with it is that, you know, with the expansions, if you're not a fan of like, you know, solving mysteries or stuff like that, you have like kid you have kids on brooms or if you want sci fi, you got teen in space. As well as like a book for making adventure you know, uh, with a set of adventures that you can run. Or even the um, a little deck for the powered character if you 
if you're running one in your campaign. Which is very, it's, you know, really helpful and, you know, always helps make, you know, for more interesting uh, gameplay, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. They really added to it. I gave it a three as well because it was, it was quality expansions as well as a lot of expansions. Yeah, which is always nice, especially you're paying money, especially if you're paying money for these expansions. You don't yeah. want, like, a small little 10-page thing on, like, oh, here's what maybe you can do. It's, you know... And, like, some of these expansions even have, like, nice little touches where they have comics inside kind of showing you what you'd be getting into. Oh, I really like that. Nice. You know, like, the Deluxe Edition in the beginning has an example of one campaign you could run. Them entering the house, getting attacked by a ghost, and then having to deal with that, which is really nice. So... We also touched on replay value and we talked about the fact that this would be very good as a filler game. So saying that in between different campaigns, doing this as like a relaxed break because it's much more calming than some things. They're not calming. They're much, much more, much less taxing on the brain. I think it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a good example yeah. of replay value versus rate of play and the, the differences there. It's not yeah. a game you would play three times in a row. But it's definitely a game that if I bought it, I'd play it again and again over time. Yeah. Like, like I could see this fitting into a, like I said, I could see this fitting into a campaign. Like you do a couple really hardcore sessions where you're doing a lot of heavy fighting, a lot of heavy uh, math, and then taking a break by going into this and having this be a side diversion for your regular gaming nights. Yeah, or like you know, some players cannot. The play, some players or even the, G, the DM or GM can't come, you know, someone could easily just run this. Just just fill out that day. Which is nice. Alright, going into our sliding scale grades. Okay. So. Yes. <laughs> mm. Hold on, because okay. I, I have the abbreviations. I don't want to call it the wrong thing. Classic to innovative, um, simple to complex. Classic innovative, that's what it was. Classic yeah. innovative, I did give it a zero. Uh, and I want to preface that by saying it's not a bad thing. I just don't think it's very innovative, but it's also not its not classic either. It's kind of nice and in the middle. Uh, unfortunately, that's just how the scale works. I would have liked to see some, some newer things. Um, something different. But ultimately, it is, it's a solid game. I do really like it. I just want to put that out there that it did get a low score for me. I did yeah, get an Innovative 3. I felt that it's the only game I know that covers this particular genre it, with like a, a freeform kind of play style. I also do like the way the, the abilities work with the dice system. I mean, I have seen that part before, but you only see it once in a while. I should note, this did come up once during the uh, game that we played, uh, the dice system also has exploding dice, so when you roll the maximum number on your die, you roll another one and add it on top. Um, it only came up once because we all rolled fairly abysmally, uh, but it did help with certain instances. I think when we were at the uh, boardwalk, uh, someone rolled a persuasion and they got, I think it was a d6, and they rolled a 6, and then they rolled like a 4, and they got a 10. It was it was like a twenty or something like that, but yeah. Yeah, the exploding dice was actually. You know, I gave this actually more leaning towards, a bit more innovative, 
where yeah, it does have your standard C, uh, tabletop RPG, but they have some mechanics that are actually kind of fun, like you know, like yeah, definitely the exploding dice, because sometimes just getting, for example, like Dungeon Dragons getting advantage sometimes isn't that good. Being able to re-roll again and keep rolling until you, if you especially if you keep getting the max amount is really cool and does for certain aspects of the game, for example, you know, feel like you're doing a really an amazing job and your character, you know, your character is shining through that, that specific scene. I, I will agree with you on that. It definitely hits that, that high of, of like rolling like a nat 20 or, and then rolling again and hitting that again. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I've never rolled two 20s in a row, <laughs> but getting two eights in a row was, was ecstasy. <laughs> I can see what you're saying. I put this more towards the classic side. I really thought that this was set up in a classic styling of a game. It felt like something that I've seen and played before, even though I've only played it one other time. Um, it just, it really, it felt homey to me, if that makes sense. So it got a two classic for me. Yeah, and I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I would say... Especially if the whole genre is based around those tropes. It's nice to kind of play it and play it. You know kind of what you're walking into, which is kind of nice sometimes. Just uh, a tangent real quick. Something that just occurred to me. The the worse your score on something, the lower the type of dice you have is, the more likely it is you get to re-roll. You mean you get exploding dice? Yeah. Yeah. I just occurred to me. I, I mean, it probably should have occurred earlier, but I'm like... It's it's a really good sort of balance system because you can either have a higher chance of getting a better roll overall by having a higher die size, or you can have a, a lower die size but a higher chance of getting exploding dice. So it's never like you're unable to do a roll just because you have a really uh, low die size. You can always hope that you get exploding dice and then just keep hoping for that until you get whatever the the requisite uh die roll is to succeed you know what game could really use this system is it one of the three games we talk about all the time the uh the excellence instead of having their uh oh if you it only works if you roll a one yeah i mean crowning is just an instant success isn't it it is so i mean in theory they do have that it's just a little different and the nice thing with the system is also you have variety in your character. You have variety in your party composition, which is nice. And you don't have that one person who is just overpowered or min-maxing. You have some, so you play around your strengths and weaknesses. And there's nothing wrong with having a character. There's nothing wrong with having to play someone who has weaknesses. You know, it makes for interesting, you know, gameplay. So, simple versus complex. How did everyone feel on this one? I thought, I thought it was very simple. Like, I gave it a three symbol. Yeah, two symbol for me. Uh, um, two symbol as well. As in yeah. two the number, not T-O-O. Yeah, that's what I thought he was saying. I'm like, no, that's the glory of it. Because like, I didn't bring this up in accessibility. And I know we had talked about this off, can- off uh, mic. But the way they set this up makes it so much easier for people that may have a hard time adding bonuses constantly like there's no stopping and thinking hmm do i have a bonus for this like it's very streamlined and makes it easy for 
young people to pick up as well as people that might have processing issues. Like it's it the way they made it simple made it so much more accessible to people. Yeah, it, it does help the accessibility. And I think I I wanted to bring up real quick that one of the and I forgot to do this when we talk about accessibility. One one of the, the best parts of having a game that's more simple like this is when you're going to play it, it's it's grand that you want to play a, a tabletop game, that's fine. But the hardest part about playing a tabletop game is finding people who are willing to put up with you when you play it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with it being simple, especially that's kind of the beauty of it, where you can pick it up very easily and you can, oh, and you can teach, you know, your friends who are interested or you know, actually curious. It's just, you know, it's, it's an easy sell as compared to, like, Dungeons & Dragons or Pathfinder. Just saying, hey, uh, we're going to play this game, make this character, do the dice from 20 to 4, and pick out your personality traits. That's it. You're done. Yeah. And also, it's it's a one, it could be a one-off. Like, sometimes, even if you're trying to do a one-off in some more popular systems, it ends up being, like, a two-off or a three-off. Uh, so in three- classic D&D fashion. Exactly. This one-off will be continued next week. Exactly. <laughs> so, with this, it's very easy to create something that is truly just a one-day commitment for someone to see if they even enjoy this style of play. So, it's, it's, it does bring new people into the community. Exactly. Yeah, I'd say if you like this game, if you like Monster of the Week, you'll like this game. Monster of the Week, a game that we have yet to play, but has very similar both mechanics and themes to this game. Oh, Chris, don't worry. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get to Monster of the Week. I know. And hey, by then, so fun thing with podcasts, a lot of the time people listen backwards. So this, it's, it's mute. It's moot point. When when we get there, they'll all know this. <laughs> see, but if you're like Hello, me and listen people. to them normally, forwards as opposed to backwards, then <laughs> they'll know that we'll get to Monster of the Week eventually. You're calling out a lot of people, Chris. You be careful with what you just did. Hey, they it's can okay. at me on Twitter. You know, the Twitter that I keep on private so no one can at me. Like, <laughs> if you're listening in 2023. Oh, but, uh... Yeah, no, and the nice thing is also with such a simple system, you can play it as... You can definitely play it with, you know, friends or even, you know, show it to family or you can play it with friends, family. It's not like you know such a and it's not like oh it's lore heavy or anything you can set up you know campaigns that can be serious or as silly um silly as a saturday morning cartoon which is nice Mm -hmm. yeah so my overall score for this section is 18 of 21 which brings my total to 35 i had a 16 out of 20 in for this section so that brought it to 33 out of 42 for me I had a uh, 17 out of 21 for this section, so 32 out of 42 overall for me. I had, gave it a 17 out of 21. For a I... total? Oh, I'm sorry, for a total <laughs> of 36 out of 42. Oh, yeah. I, gave it a, I gave it a 19 out of 21 in that section, which totaled for me a 38 out of 42. Which has our average at about 34 to 36. So pretty good. Yeah. Final yeah, comments, questions? 34 to a 36, wouldn't that be 35? Uh, I, I just feel like somewhere in that range, it could be 34, 35, or 36. 
I didn't actually do the math. I'm just <laughs> guesstimating. Okay. I was just, in my head, I'm like, but there's a number in between there, Chris. <laughs> um, I would say for my final comments, you know, it's definitely fun. It's an easy game to pick up, fun to play with friends, especially if they like mystery and or horror and don't mind, you know, playing normal people. Yeah, I would definitely buy this game. Um, I may or may not have it being delivered to my house right now. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know anyone who would have done something like that and bought it. Oh yeah, no, we we definitely don't buy our own copies of these things after we have reviewed them with the bards. <laughs> um, but I would I would buy this. I did buy this, and <laughs> and uh, the only thing I would say was that. I would suggest it for like intermediate players. I feel like this amount of role play, you need a little bit of a background in role play. So I could see this being like a good middle ground for people who've done it before, but aren't super versed in it. And versed people can do it too, but I just wouldn't bring in newbies. Uh, I personally, uh, as I said a little while ago, uh, the setting did not really interest me very much. So for kids on bikes specifically, I probably wouldn't purchase it, but just on the the knowledge that Kids on Brooms is a very similar setting, or a very similar system, along with the advent of uh, a more fantasy sort of subject matter, uh, I would definitely purchase that one. I, well, I did buy the book, because essentially, I do like this, these kinds of games, because I wanted something similar to Call of Cthulhu, but less intensive was the thing. Call of Cthulhu is a very intimidating game. Yeah, I've I, we've played it three or four times now, and I still don't fully know what I'm doing when I play it. We'll have one on at some point as well. But that that probably just speaks to my reading comprehension than anything else. You're not alone. I'm with you on this. <laughs> it's a really hard system. There's but either way, I think, I think it's definitely. Oh God, yeah. I I think that overall this game was. A lot of fun and uh if you want to check that out it should be up in our youtube at this point yes should yeah you know <laughs> i really did i really did enjoy playing with you guys you know and especially even though it was last minute i still had a lot of fun and was able to kind of give you guys some interesting stuff to play around with yeah, thank you for running for us nelson no you know thank you i'm i'm glad that you guys had fun and i'm very happy that uh you guys are interested and have you know had me on i'm very very thankful all right i think with that it's time for us to say our farewells and provide our socials exactly thank you for joining us this episode to see a complete breakdown of our scores head to instagram at dancing with the bards head to tiktok and twitter as well as youtube at dancing with the bards for gameplay and updates Look for us on Twitch at WithBards for sneak peeks of upcoming episodes. And don't forget to show our game creators some love if you found them interesting. Thank you for coming on us, coming with us on this journey. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.